before we get going, here's the bit where I remind you that nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets. You're about to listen to a special preview edition of the Grant Williams podcast featuring my very special guest, Matt Stoller, the author of Goliath, the 100-year war between monopoly power and democracy, and the Substack Big, in which he talks about and writes about uh, market power, politics, antitrust, and monopolies. Matt is a former policymaker who worked in Congress as a staffer right after the financial crisis, and some of the things he's learned in his time there are fundamental to the way he writes today. So, and I think this is a conversation that you'll really enjoy. Every episode of the Grant Williams podcast, including The End Game, The Super Terrific Happy Hour, The Narrative Game, This Week in Doom, and Shifts Happen is available to copper and silver tier subscribers at my website, grant-williams.com. Copper tier subscribers get access to all the podcasts, while members of the Silver Tier get both the podcasts and my monthly newsletter, Things That Make You Go Hmm. So, if you enjoy what you hear on the show and you'd like more high-quality content like it, then please do make your way over to grant-williams.com and join our exciting community today. And with that, on with the show. Matt, welcome to the podcast. I'm extremely grateful you've taken the time to chat with me today. I've been looking forward to this for quite some time. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, now, the, the subject of monopolies is the topic du jour. Um, but before we get into that and your stellar work on the subject, I'd love you to give people a sense of your background because it's, it's so important when we come into the meat of the discussion and the work you've been doing. So tell us how you kind of came to be involved in this particular area of the economy. Sure. Yeah. So I've been doing politics and policy for about 20 years. And I got interested in market power largely because I was working in Congress during the financial crisis when we completely fixed too big to fail banks. It's all taken care of. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, And yeah, so I got really interested in banks and corporations as part of a political system and what role they play. And coming out of the financial crisis in 2011 and 12, you start to see, well, wait, too big to fail doesn't just apply to the banks. We have a lot of other big institutions from you know, search engines to airlines to lots of stuff in the medical system. And as it turns out, the philosophies that led to the growth of dominant financial institutions and mass foreclosure waves also led to the growth of dominant market power and all these other segments of the economy. So I got really interested in that. I can go into more about why that is. But, you know, I started to write about what we have in in this country, and I think globally, although it's worse in the US, which is a monopoly crisis. And it's a political story. It's not just a business story. So I wrote a book called Goliath, The 100-Year War Between Monopoly Power and Democracy, which I tried to write in a fun, accessible way, uh, because I believe that these stories are important for everyone to know. And I write a substack called Big, in which I write about market power and the different weird things that happen and enforcement agencies and, you know, the economy, but looking at it through like these specific industries and examples. And then I'm also at a think tank called the American Economic Liberties Project, where we focus on the public policy problem of private power. So that's why I am. That's how I got interested in this. Yeah. It's such an interesting area and we'll we'll dig into it and see, but but I want to go back to the post-financial crisis and get a sense of 
the attempts during that time to make policy, because obviously everybody was running around with their hair on fire and this wasn't a time for thoughtful deliberation, this was a time for action. So take us inside that process and whether there was a sense of satisfaction from the people who were brought together to try and fix things or there was a sense of frustration that they were forced to take actions in the moment to staunch the blood flow rather than make meaningful changes to the system, which is clearly what was needed. It's a really good question. So I, just to give you a sense of my politics and where I sat, right? So I started working in Congress in early 2009. So it was like the financial crisis was kind of in full throes, but the bailouts had been passed, although there were still like some monies that had to be unlocked. Um, I was a staffer for a Democrat who got put on the House Financial Services Committee. And while he's a Democrat and I was an AM Democrat, I was also sort of part of the network of people who opposed what Tim Geithner was doing. Right. So there were different factions within the Democratic Party. Ultimately, the Tim Geithner, Ben Bernanke, Barack Obama faction won and determined the shape of the recovery from the financial crisis, determined the shape of the foreclosure crisis. But that, like, we were opposed to that from within the Democratic Party, not from the right. So what was happening, I think, when I first got there was just like total confusion. People didn't know what was happening. I mean, normally, at the very least, like lobbyists at least know how to steal money. Right, right. Because <laughs> it was just like, I want to steal money from there, but that market just blew up, right? Like that, I mean, not to be like really cynical, because I'm not actually, I'm an optimist, but that, you know, that was the gist of it, right? And when you start working in Congress, like the first thing that happens is, a lot of people who go to work in Congress don't know anything about the areas they were going to go work in. And I didn't know anything about banking, which, as it turns out, was really useful because no, right. nobody really seemed to know anything about banking. I just wasn't arrogant enough to think that I did just because I didn't have like much background in it. So you get there and you go to like banking university, which is really just like a week of I forget. I don't think that's what it's called, but it's like the American Bankers Association, which is the main lobbying group yep. for the for the big banks and also for small banks, but mostly the big ones. They basically just put on a week long seminar for any congressional staff or just teaching you this is how banking works. And they just are like, here are the basics of banking. Here's credit analysis. Here are the different kinds of banks. Here are how the rules work. And it's like, it's supposed to just be like neutral, but of course it's not. They're teaching right. you in a specific way, but there's all of these kind of soft power elements that exist within Congress. But at the time, right, in early 2009, there was this change over the course of several years where people came in, the Democrats had won in 2006 and they, they had won in 2008. And so there were all of these new members who were mad. And because they were reflecting their constituents, they were angry that they thought that the Bush administration had mishandled the banks. They also thought that the banks were too big and powerful and it was it, this was just a big mess. And so they were like, we need to do something about the banks. We need to do something about the bonuses. Like, let's get to work. And over the course of several years, the kind of arguments from Bernanke, from Geithner, and really it was Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan working through the Federal Reserve, which then worked through the Treasury, which then got inserted through Congress through like Barney Frank and Rahm Emanuel. Right, right. Those arguments, like they essentially ground us down. And so in early 2009, we would have these staff or congressional like meetings where bankers would come in and we would like be like really angry with them and be like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? Like they were, they were on the hot seat. And like towards the end, late 2010, after everyone had been kind of beaten down, if people were still mad, it was just like, oh, that's adorable. Like, that's not, you know, some people were trying to get jobs, but it was right. really just like, there was right. this joke starting kind of in 2010 
where, like a friend of mine kept saying, you know, you'd bring up a problem. And in 2009, when you were like, there's this problem, we have to solve it. People would be like, all right, what do we do? How do we, because there was this sense of hope the legislative process could work. By 2010, everyone knew, all right, they know what they want to do. They're going to do it. They don't care. They're not going to take any other feedback. So when you would say, here's this huge, massive problem with derivatives or whatever it is, you know, he would just say, yeah, someone should do something about that. Right. Right. And then we'd all laugh, like, because it was just like, it was so corrosive and cynical. And everybody knew that Dodd-Frank was nothing. I'm like kind of amused by Silicon Valley Bank because they're like, oh my gosh, Dodd-Frank with all of this busy work didn't seem to do anything. I was like, yeah, we knew that. Everybody knew it. So it was a very disillusioning experience because the other thing that was happening, like the real policy choices were the bailouts, reappointing Ben Bernanke, and then allowing the foreclosure crisis to happen, Right. And that's what essentially was the whole Obama administration. And it was really uncomfortable for Democrats to admit it, to even know what was happening. And I was like one of the only people on the Democratic side being like, guys, we're the bad guys. Like We did right. the bad things, right? And so that was hard for people to hear. So they just sort of didn't hear it. And so all of this political chaos happened. So the, the person who told me about what was going on during the crisis was this old economist named Jane DeResta. In 2009, nobody knew what was going on. The Fed didn't know, Treasury didn't know, bank lobbyists, none of them knew what was happening. But Jane would be, I'd like met her because I used to be a blogger before I went into Congress. And so I respected people who, you know, scream into right. the void angrily. Yeah. You can tell who's crazy and who's not. I kind of have more <laughs> respect for that than most people. And so I met all of the losers of the financial policy fights over the last 30 years. I met a bunch of them and they lost but the policies they wanted were good and they lost the fight. And so we had a bad policy. So Jane would tell me, yeah, this market is going to blow up or that one's going to blow up or here's the solution to this one. And then it would all happen that way. And I'd be like, how did you know all of this? And she was like, oh, well, I worked for this congressman in the 60s named Wright Patman, 60s and 70s. He was the chair of the banking committee. And then I worked after he got sort of dethroned and then he died. I worked for other people in the 80s. And she's like, I saw all of the guardrails being taken off of finance. Right. And so when you know that, okay, that guardrail gets taken off, this is where you're going to fall out. Or that's where you're going to fall out. So I, she told me these amazing stories about some of the fights that had happened in the 1970s that would like kind of led to where we are today. Then a couple of years later, she tried to get me interested in her old boss, this congressman named Wright Patman. And I was like, yeah, whatever. I'm just interested in banks. Then a couple of years later, I was reading a book about monopolies and antitrust. And there was this law that was called the Robinson-Patman Act that was originally passed in 1936 to constrain chain stores. At the time, it was the A&P supermarket, but today it would be like Walmart or Amazon. And when we stopped enforcing Robinson-Patman, that's when Walmart exploded in the 70s. And the failure to enforce Robinson-Patman, it's still on the books, we just don't enforce it, is one of the reasons like we have these dominant middlemen in our economy. So I was like, wait a second, Robinson-Patman, that's like Patman, that guy, Wright Patman, who was the chair of the banking committee in the 60s and 70s, who got then overthrown by the Bill Clinton generation in 1975 that Jane kept trying to tell me about. Yeah. There's a story here. That was the basis for like my research and ultimately a book I wrote, which was about this lost history, this kind of Anglo-American tradition that goes back to the 1600s about the political threat of concentrated finance and monopoly uh, and what that means in the context of having a society where we can or cannot govern ourselves. So that's kind of eventually how I got to the philosophical underpinnings of essentially what are populist politics, which are fear yeah. and suspicion of concentrated power. Well, well, we'll get into the monopoly side of it in a second. I just, I just want to ask you one more question about that particular time, because you know, for someone 
in finance who is proudly skeptical. But it's something I learned over a long time. I didn't start that way. I, I realized that it made far more sense to be skeptical early once you've been in banking for long enough than rather than wait to have it forced upon you. But there was a certain sense that Obama had an opportunity. The full conversation is available to subscribers to the copper and silver tiers of my website, grant-williams.com. Nothing we discussed should be considered as investment advice. This conversation is for informational and hopefully entertainment purposes only. So while we hope you find it both informative and entertaining, please do your own research or speak to a financial advisor before putting a dime of your money into these crazy markets.